0: Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we come to your throne room of grace, we are grateful to come as children of the Most High King. Father, you welcome us into your throne room and say, anytime you may come. So, Father, we are grateful for that. Father, we do pray, Lord, for the needs of our congregation. Father, we pray for um, Janice Edmondson, Father, at the loss of her husband Dick this week. Father, um, we pray, Lord, that you would comfort her. Father, we think about Sandra Reed, who is, um, broke her femur last week and is at um, KU Med. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would bring healing to her. For Gary Rockman, Father, as he is struggling with congestion and fever due to COVID, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would heal him. Father, we know that there are others who are ill from COVID and other sicknesses. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would heal them and give them hope. Father, give the doctors wisdom. Father, you are the great physician, so we come to you and ask you to heal. Father, for Peggy White, Father, we pray, Lord, that she would get the oxygen that she needs and that she would recover fully. Father, for Janelle Slater, Father, she fights breast cancer. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would heal her. Father, we pray, Lord, that she would be ambulatory. Father, that you would allow her to um, strengthen her, her muscles and be able to walk. And Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would help her. Father, for Parker Lund. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would... Um, we pray for Lark Lund, um, for Parker, who, the 15-year-old son who had surgery and is recovering children's mercy. Father, we pray for those who have cancer among us. Father John Harvet, Cindy Hemberg, Ava Heidi, Father Catherine Ritter. Father, we pray for Von Heck, who is, um, has so many issues, Father, and we just don't know why. And for Elaine Jones and Elise um, Zayat and Liz, who is comforting and trying to care for both of them. Father, there is much to be in prayer for. So, Father, we pray, Lord, for those who are struggling. For those who are weary and who are up at night and and worried about tomorrow, Father, we pray, Lord, that the hope of glory, that the hope of heaven would comfort their souls, that they would know that they are not alone, that, Father, Jesus would rule and reign in their hearts and minds, and that, Father, in, in times of deep distress and anguish, and, Father, we pray, Lord, that they would lean hard upon Jesus. Father, may we do the same. Father, when things are difficult in our lives, Father, when there are marriage difficulties, when there are are relationships that seem broken, Father, when children um, and parents, and, and there's just so much struggle, Father, we pray, Lord, that we would lean hard upon Jesus, that we would run to your word rather than away from it. Father, might we be faithful like our Savior, Jesus, who spent time in prayer and not like the prophet Jonah who ran in the other direction. So, Father, help us. Father, I pray, Lord, that the, the words of gospel truth would ring within our hearts and our minds to such a degree that, that we, our faith is increased, that our courage is increased, and that we would love you more. And, Father, as we think about our homes, Father, we do pray that you would protect our homes. Father, we pray, Lord, that our children would have a deep faith, that they would not be lured into... Uh, the world, thinking that the world can satisfy their deepest longings. Father, help us as parents not to model that to our children, but Father, may our, our deepest longings be found in, in Jesus, our Savior. Father, may we spend time in your word. Give us a hunger and thirst for your righteousness. Father, give us a hunger and thirst for for your word every day. Father, may we pray with great fervor and great zeal, knowing that we have great access to you, our Father, through Jesus Christ, the Son. So Holy Spirit, equip us and embolden us and comfort us and encourage us. Father, we need this desperately. For we live in a world that is ravaged by sin and selfishness. Father, it seems as everywhere that we look, things are bent and distorted and twisted from the way that you created them. And so, Father, help us, Lord, to be the missionaries that you have called us to be. Father, as we seek people to follow you, Father, I pray that we would have boldness to go to our neighbors, to our friends, to our co-workers, to even our family members who don't know you, and that we would bring words of life to them, For, Father, the gospel brings peace and hope and joy that is immeasurable. And, Father, we know that people are struggling today. So, Father, with great boldness and and gentleness and, and great love, might we bring the words of truth to a world that is struggling, dare we say, even perishing And Father, we pray, Lord, for our missionaries. Father, we are so grateful, Father, that we get to uh, bring new missionaries like the Jensen's on. And Father, we pray for the Jensen's, Father, as they are in Japan church planting. Father, that is difficult soil to till. But Father, we pray, Lord, that as they sow the seeds of the gospel, that it might bring forth a mighty harvest in your name and for your glory. And Father, we pray that churches would be planted, that souls would be saved, Father, that they might establish mission outposts for the King of kings and Lord of lords, that they might be places where the gospel uh, is rooted and proclaimed. So Father, we pray, Lord, for the Jensen's. We pray for the support that they need, but Father, we pray more so for encouragement And Father, we know that they would be encouraged as they see people turn to you out of sin and selfishness. So Father, would you do that? And Father, as we think about our our, um, government, Father, we pray for our our leaders. Father, we pray for the governor of Kansas. Father, we pray for Governor Kelly. Father, we pray that she would uh, pursue righteousness, that she would know what to do, that we would know right from wrong. Father, we pray for um, the vote on August 2nd, Father, we pray that we would know what to do to extend your justice to those uh, who, are, who cannot protect, protect themselves. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help women, uh, families who find themselves in unplanned pregnancies, that we would know how to reach out in love, and that we would uphold your morality and your love and your ways to them. Father, it is a, a difficult thing to to love others more than we love ourselves but father i pray that we would do that so father help us father we pray lord that as we collect tithes and offerings father we pray lord that we would give generously for father you have given to us all things Father, I pray that we would not give because we have to give, but because we get to give, because we love you, because we want to see churches planted, we want to see campus ministries thrive, because we want to see lost people come to faith in Jesus. We might see your name magnified, that your name might increase and ours decrease. Father, may we give with that end in mind. And we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, The children are dismissed for Children's Church this morning, so you know who you are. The rest of us turn to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2 is where we will find ourselves today. Psalm 2. It's obvious that we're not going in order of the Psalms this summer. But I do want us to say that, you know, when we think about the book of Psalms, again, 150 Psalms. Psalms 1 and 2, um, I've heard it said, are the double doors of entry into uh, the great psalms. Two doors that both focus and, and sort of open themselves. And we, and we did Psalm 1 uh, some time ago, you know, and we think about, you know, blessed is the man or, or happy is the man. You know, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night." He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its season, fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Again, two types of people, those who meditate and dwell upon the law of the Lord, and those who really pursue what the world offers. And one is like a tree, a firm tree, like an oak of righteousness in the the book of Isaiah. The other is like the chaff that the wind blows away. Well, Psalm 2 also gets into this idea of what the world is doing today. But it ends, it ends, Psalm 2 ends with blessed are all who take refuge in him. And again, we can see the word blessed meaning happy or joyful. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And I got to tell you, that you read Psalm chapter two, and it seems like uh, there's not a lot of refuge going on in Psalm chapter two until the very end of the Psalm. Because when we read about it, we we really read about sort of the the, the churn and the rebellion that's going on in the world around us. So uh, before I get too deep into Psalm chapter two, as again, by way of part of the introduction, let us read the word of God. Psalm chapter 2. Now, I want you to see this. There's um, four different parts, verses 1 through 3, 4 through 6, 7 through 9, 10 through 12. And what we find is that the narrator um, is at the beginning and the end. And so the first three verses are talking about the narrator. He talks about the, the kingdoms of the world. And at the end, he talks about the kingdoms of the world and how they are called to repent. But in between, we see God speaking. And then we also see the Son speaking. Which is, again, Psalm chapter 2, or Psalm 2, is a messianic psalm. It is a psalm that points to Jesus. And actually, we see Jesus speaking in the midst of Psalm chapter 2. Specifically, we see Jesus speaking in verses 7 through 9. So again, narrator, God the Father, Jesus, and then the narrator again. So that's where we are. So Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? is quickly kindled blessed are all who take refuge in him and we all say the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever so when we think about this um, it makes me think about and as I was looking at different commentators the question becomes who's in charge of the world today who's in charge right it's a rhetorical question you don't have to like speak out loud right now but who's in charge? I mean, when you think about this, who is in charge of the world? Uh, some might say, depending on what region of the world that you live in, uh, some might say, well, it's the president. I mean, maybe, maybe Joe Biden is in charge of the world. Or some people in China might say it's President Xi. Or some people in Russia uh, might say it's Putin who's in charge of the world. But this psalm deals with the idea of who really is in charge of all the world. Again, when we think about this, we think about all of our attempts at fixing things that are all messed up, right? And we see this. I mean, there's a bunch that's messed up in the world. And, and, you know, we have been able to deal with a lot of things, you know, educationally, you know, technologically. We've had great advances in food production in the last 100, 150 years. I mean, think about how many people can now eat because of, you know, modern ways of farming, um, think about how many diseases that have been eradicated. Those are good things, but at the same time, there are things in our world such as, um, think about how many people are emotionally broken today. Think about how many people are anxious and, or addicted, frustrated in their lives, bored. Think about how many people are still suffering from poverty. Think about how many people are still being, you know, enslaved worldwide. Think about how many people are uh, around the world. We still have child sex trafficking. We have not been able to abolish those things. And yet, what we find is that, you know, Psalm chapter 2 sees this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Now, that word "anointed" in the Hebrew is actually Messiah. Against His Messiah, saying, "Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us." Um, I've got four R's today. The first is this: is that there is the rebellion of man against God. And we see in Psalm chapter 2 that there is open hostility. It is not um, apathy, but antagonism. There is a deep-seated opposition to God and to the one he puts in authority. We see this. And now we, we know this because we see it around the world today. And we see the world saying, you know, we have this. Let us figure out how to solve the world's problems. Let us not subject ourselves or submit ourselves to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let us push away the the morality of God. Let us say that the commands, the precepts, the ways, the pathways, his ordinances, his commands, we don't want his commands in our lives. We want to, again, in verse 3 it says, we want to burst apart those things which bind us, those things which are keeping us from flourishing. We see that, right? We see that, you know, when we think about um, prayer in public spaces, you know, we, we see prayer being pushed aside, you know, because we don't want to offend anybody. We see the, the morality, God's morality being removed, you know, from um, courtrooms. You know, for years and years, we've seen, you know, the Ten Commandments up in courtrooms, and, and we want to remove the Ten Commandments. And the question becomes, why do we want to do that? Why do we want to remove the morality that is, you know, will always be, you know, from the courtrooms. Let us burst apart, you know, that which is hindering our ability to do what we want to do with our lives and with everything that we have. And what we find is this, why do the nations rage? And they, they come against God and, and with hostility, but they also find that there is great futility when they come against God and against His anointed. Again, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Now, specifically in Psalm chapter 2, verse 1, we see this among the nations or the Gentiles, uh, depending on the translation that you're, you're reading, the heathens. Why do the heathens rage? Why do the, those, and really what we're saying is those outside of the family of God, why do they rage against these things? But I think that there's something else within the heart and minds of of Christians that we have to ask ourselves too, is that our posture towards the law of God as well? When we read the word of God, are we also feeling as if it is constraining us to a point where we feel like we need to burst out of the uh, the, 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 the constraining elements of the commands of God? As a matter of fact, I think that oftentimes within my own heart and within the hearts of those around me is that we don't want a king to submit ourselves to, but rather we're looking for a consultant. You know what I'm saying? Because when you pay for a consultant, you can take his advice or you don't have to take his advice. And you get to ascertain whether or not his advice is good or bad. But when the king when the king says, this is what you're called to do, then you're called to do that. And I think within my own heart, there are times, I mean, like, let's, you know, when it's, to die to self, right? That I'm supposed to be, you know, um, to dying to myself when I think about my family. Let's just, you know, how often Is that difficult? And really, that diet of self, I like to think of that diet of self as a consultant giving me advice rather than the king giving me a command. In our world today, uh, we, the church, and I don't mean this church, by church I mean like air quotes, you know, so, you know, the church has allowed the morality of the world to infiltrate and for us to syncretize within the morality of God. And so when God says, you know, you shall have no other gods before me, we have to say, I have to put off all those things which encumber me or trip me up. When God says, I want marriage to be- between one man and one woman forever, that is what I have designed. You know, we allow sometimes the, the culture of the, ch- of the world to seep into, and we, we think of God as, again, a consultant not the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So as we read the word of God, again, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself as well as I'm preaching to you guys. Like, are we changing the way that we think and act based upon the word of God? Or are we elevating our own um, wisdom to the point where we're like, well, God doesn't really mean that. God doesn't really care if I act that way. Again, do we see the laws, commands, precepts, ways, pathways, ordinances of God as being things that are a gift from him so that we can walk in faithfulness and with him? Or do we see them as constraining issues that we have? Is it a straitjacket that we must burst ourselves out of? Now, this is interesting. Because in verses 2... Uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 2, verses 4 through 6, God actually speaks. And what we find is that when God speaks, he is refuting um, man. Matter matter of fact, we would say he is refuting and ridiculing man. There is only one place in all of Scripture where it says that God laughs. It's right here. Because God sees all the kings of the world. He sees the Pontius Pilate's. He sees the Herod's who come against his anointed. And he sees them plotting against each other. And by the way, you know, nothing unites people like a common enemy. You know that, right? Like nothing unites people like a common enemy. And we see Herod and Pilate, two people who did not like each other, conspiring against the Lord's anointed. And here's what, you know, God in his throne room says. He who sits in the heavens laughs. And that laughter is one of ridicule, scorn, or scoffing, because he sees the kings of the world. Again, these are the kings of the world who are, who are basically saying, I'm going to burst apart the bonds, um, the cords that entangle us, and the Lord laughs at them. He holds them in derision. I mean, you look at that and you go, oh my goodness. It's almost as if, um, like for example, let's take all of the maybe threes and four-year-olds. And let's say, and there might be, I don't know, maybe there's 10, 3, and 4-year-olds, maybe maybe 20, I don't know how many there are. And we're like, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to go out into the yard, and I want you to all get up against the, the, the church building, and I want you to put your hands on the church building, and I need you guys to move the church building about 20 feet left, okay? So all those kids get up there, and they begin to push against the building. Now, you know that those children have zero chance of moving this building, right? I mean, all of us up against the building, you know, could not move the building. And yet that's the view that God has with regard to the kings of the world. He looks at their plotting and, the, and all of the plans that they have, and he, and he laughs in derision at them. Or maybe he, you know, and, and those kids, you know, like we can give them like, well, the reason that we're not moving the building is we're not strong enough. Or maybe um, we, we don't have the right shoes. If we only have the right shoes, then we could really move the building, Right. You know, have the right shoes. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe if we, you know, took out, you know, gave them enough essential oils or removed gluten and gave them enough shoes and all that kind of stuff, we're going to figure out what it is that we can get all these children to move the building 12 feet over. And we know that that's laughable, Right? It's laughable that they could actually attempt this. And yet that's what it looks like. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them in his wrath. Now, Psalm 2 has got a lot of wrath going on. I mean, Psalm 2 has got a lot of spanking of the nations. He's essentially putting the nations across his knee and he's spanking them. Then he will say to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, in the ancient world, they were thinking about this in terms of the Davidic line. They're talking about this um, in terms of David, but we know that this is also speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the the reason that we know this is because we see this actually, this psalm, Psalm chapter 2, is one of the most often repeated psalms in all of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, we see it in Acts chapter 4, Hebrews 1, Hebrews 5, Revelation 2, Revelation 12, and also in Revelation chapter 19. We see this being repeated. Now, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4, because I I want you to see this psalm in action here. You know, and this is how we know that we think about the Davidic line, but also this is how the New Testament Christians were thinking about this. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 24 and following. You know, the Peter and John are before the council in chapter 4, and they're imprisoned, Uh, And when they can't figure out what to do with them, after Peter's witness, they release them. So in verse 23, it says this, that when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth And the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Now this is a very, I'm not going to get into it, but this is a a, a view of the inspiration of the word of God. That it was written by David through the Holy Spirit and, and communicated to the saints. Why did the nation's rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Again, we're reading Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So we see this. Now what happens when the rulers of the day are arrayed against the Lord's anointed? Well, this is interesting. I find this interesting anyway. Um, Spurgeon pointed out that in the late third and fourth centuries, there was a a Roman emperor. His name was Diocletian. And Diocletian, a great foe of Christianity, struck a medal. I mean, he, he put a medal out there which bore the inscription, the name of Christianity being extinguished. So basically, he made a coin and said, the name of Christianity extinguished. And then he set up markers, two monuments proclaiming this, as he he expanded the frontier of the empire westward. It said Diocletian, Jovian, Maximian, Hercules, uh, Caesarus Augusti, Augusti. Most of you haven't heard of him. For having extended the Roman empire in the east and the west, and for having extinguished the name of Christians who brought the republic to ruin. And he wrote the same thing, long name, D-J-M-H-C-A, for having everywhere abolished the superstition of Christ, for having extended the worship of the gods. But I don't know if you know this or not, but you probably do because you're here, but Diocletian had not abolished Christianity. <laughs> On the contrary, at the time, Christianity was growing stronger than ever, and eventually it triumphed over Caesar's throne. William Plumer, who is a, you know, um, an early preacher, you know, of, of, you know r- roughly Puritan, you know, a little after the Puritans. He said, of the 30 Roman emperors, governors of provinces and others in high office who distinguished themselves for their zeal and bitterness in persecuting the early Christians, of the 30... One became speedily deranged after some atrocious cruelty. One was slain by his own son. One became blind. The eyes of one started out of his head. One was drowned. One was strangled. One died in miserable captivity. One fell dead in a manner that will not bear recital. One died of so loathsome a disease that several of his physicians were put to death because they could not abide the stench that filled his room two committed suicide, a third attempted it but had to call for help to finish the work, five were assassinated by their own people or servants, five others died the most miserable and excruciating death, several of them having an untold complication of diseases, and eight were killed in battle or after being taken prisoners. Those are the emperors and the governors of Rome that tried to persecute Jesus and his church. The Lord sits in heaven, and he laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, and he speaks to them, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now, in, in, in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, we see Jesus, and we see the reign of Jesus occurring here. It says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now this happens um, also in two places within Scripture. We see this idea occurring uh, two different places. We see it when the baptism of Jesus occurs. We see um, God saying, uh, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the second place that we see this is the transfiguration, which we see in, in Matthew chapter 17. Where Jesus is with Elijah and Moses, and you know, God thunders forth and he says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. But then he says something after that in the transfiguration because it's almost like he's saying it to Peter, James, and John. And you know what it is? Listen to him. I, I don't think about that very often. I think about this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But then the thunderous voice came out and it said, listen to him. What do we see in in seven through nine? It says, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now that in particular, that last little section there, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. We see this actually in Revelation chapter two, verse 27, speaking about those who follow the Lord will, will break them um, with a rod of iron. But in, in chapter 12, verse five, as well as Revelation 19, verse 15, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Revelation nineteen, fifteen. This is where we see Jesus is you know, coming back and he's fired up and he's bringing the wrath Um, to those who do not believe him in revelation chapter 19 specifically in verse 15 but but let's let's expand the context a bit speaking about the rider on the white horse i mean this is jesus and you go oh man you know verse 11 then i saw heaven open and behold a white horse the one sitting on it called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who Jesus is when he comes back a second time. And this is all referencing Psalm chapter 2. In verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Brothers and sisters, there's no question as to the, who the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is. The question becomes is he your consultant or is he your king? Now, the narrator um, speaks about this and. He says this regarding the, um, really, the, the idea of um, bringing people back, the, the plea, um, and this is the idea of refuge. So if it's, you know, the rebellion, and then it's the ridicule of God, if it's the reign of the Lord Jesus, then we also see the refuge that is found in him. The narrator is, is warning the kings of the earth, rulers of the earth. Notice what he says, now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is kindled quickly. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I would say that there is this idea that we actually take refuge from him, but we take refuge in him as well. Because when Jesus comes back, he will actually come back to put all things right. All that is wicked will be made right. All that is bent, he will straighten. That which is distorted will be pure. That's what we read about in Psalm chapter 2. That's what we read about in Revelation chapter 21. But it says, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Now this is a great missionary call to us as the people of God. This is the call that we have, that we are called to bring this message to bear. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. We are actually called to bring this message to everyone on the planet, not just the kings, not just the rulers, but everyone. Everyone that they might serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, and that they might kiss the sun. And again, the idea of kissing the sun there is sort of the idea of when a king comes in or a queen. If you were to go to the English, you know, go to England and you were to meet the queen, you would probably kiss her her hand, right? You know, there's this idea of, of sort of bowing because someone has um, more authority than you. And what we find is that kiss the sun and you will be blessed. Kiss the Son, and you will take great refuge in Him. Now, what's interesting about Psalm chapter 2 is this, is that people in verse 3 say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So there is a rejection of the law of God. There is a rejection of the rules and precepts that God has given us. But the thing that really boggles my mind is that not only do we see that there is a rejection of the rules of God, there's also a rejection of the love of God in Christ. Because when Jesus comes the first time, Jesus comes as the suffering servant, and he comes to die a death on the cross for us. And yes, the wrath of God is kindled against the wicked, but the love of God through the atonement of Jesus, allows us to be adopted into the family of God. From rebels to children. I want you to just let that sink in. Because before Christ, you were just like those in verse 3 of Psalm 2, rebellious, trying to burst the bonds of his law. But when you trusted and believed in Jesus who died on the cross for your sins, you recognized that there was a new king. And when you recognized that you had a new king, you also recognized that this king was also your older brother, Jesus. And now you're justified and declared righteous. Now you're adopted into the family of God. And you are allowed access to the Father. At all times these are beautiful truths for us and and when we find this we find refuge in the son you know again verse 12 kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is kindled qu- quickly kindled blessed are all who take refuge in him I mean there is great comfort for those who take refuge in Jesus Because in Christ, I mean, children, children of God, brothers and sisters, here's what happens in Jesus. In Jesus, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are justified, and you are being sanctified and being set for heaven, being fit for heaven. All of these things are occurring. I mean, everything changes, your perspective of the world changes. And you can look and you can know that you are loved. Because of all that Jesus has done for you. Let's talk about you know, some of the anxiety that our world is facing. I mean, we are, uh, quite frankly, in the midst of a, a mental health crisis right now. That's going on I mean, all over you know, America and probably the world. And the amount of anxiety that people are having right now. And I look at this and they are looking for refuge. They're looking for a safe place. The safest place in the universe is with Jesus. When you are with Jesus you are safe. The problem is is just like the the kings and the nations of the world we think that we can figure out what will bring us safety on our own. And we will take great measures to figure out on our own what will bring us safety, what will bring us refuge, what will bring us healing, what will bring us some sort of peace but the only peace that we can have is peace found in Jesus, joined to him. Brothers and sisters, are you looking for a consultant or are you looking for a king? The beauty of communion for us is this. Um, When we think about communion, we see really... The idea of salvation working itself out in front of us, and I love it. Um, we were talking with the elders today in the midst of elder training. You know that you know we have drama in the worship service every time we have communion, and it's the great drama of redemption right here at this table. Because when Jesus came to the to the disciples, and he said, "This is my body, which is broken for you," and he said, "This cup." which is filled with the fruit of the vine. This cup represents my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. And if you are joined to me, if you are bound with Christ, joined to Christ, union with Christ, your union with Christ means that you, you eat of, this, of his flesh and you drink of his blood, but what it really means is that you know, his life was given for you. That his, his death on the cross, allowed you to be welcomed into the family of God. Brothers and sisters, as you come forward today, I want you to come forward with the idea that I find refuge only in Jesus. Because the reality is this, if you don't find refuge in Jesus, the wrath of Jesus at his second coming will befall you. I'm not trying to scare you, okay? Like, that's not, I'm not, I don't want to do that, right? Like, I'm not trying to sell fire insurance here. That's not what I'm trying to do. I want you to have great peace and joy in Christ so that you might see him as a refuge. In 1 Corinthians 11, we read the words of institution. I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And when we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, we're saying that we are joined to him and that we have peace with him and that we are forgiven and loved. This is not the table of Grace Presbyterian Church, but rather this is the table of the Lord, and he invites all those who trust and believe in him alone for their salvation. If you're not sure who Jesus is, I would say don't partake. But for those of you who are weary and overwhelmed and looking for a refuge for your soul, and you know that that refuge is Jesus, he welcomes you to the family of God, to the table of God. But as you come, I want you to know that Jesus is, is your refuge. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we approach the table of the Lord, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would do so knowing that Jesus alone is our refuge and that, Father, we would bow down to our King and know that we are forgiven and loved. Lord, help us. Lord, save us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please come.